Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new guest co-host who's an expert in their field, and together we interview a special guest about their work in design, because design is everywhere, and so are we. This week, we're talking about designing for a rebrand or relaunch. I'll be joined by John Rocher, co-founder and CEO at Handsome, a holistic experience design agency. And later on, together, we'll chat with Simon Forster, founder and executive creative director of Robot Food. Together, we will learn how they approach branding, rebranding, and relaunching their own projects, as well as guiding other companies through that process. But before we dive in, I want to recognize our three most recent Design Museum members. We have Anne Bronstein, who is a new magazine subscriber, Celeste Espinoza, who came on as a dual member, and Katie Scott, who came on as an individual member. And big thanks to all our members, your support as members and your involvement in our community makes what we do here at Design Museum Everywhere possible. If you're interested in learning more about membership and you want to join us, visit our website, designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on membership. And with that, onto this week's topic, designing for a rebrand or relaunch. When the pandemic hit, John Rocher decided to relaunch his agency, Handsome, and focus on recapturing his love for the internet by creating digital experiences rooted in human-centered design. He and his team embraced the remote workplace and have expanded Handsome to twice its original size. John Rocher joins me as guest co-host this week to learn more about designing for a relaunch. He was born and raised in Texas. John developed a deep passion for the internet at a young age. He later served four years in the United States Marine Corps and returned to Texas, where he co-founded Handsome. Since then, he has partnered with some of the world's top-tier brands, including Facebook, GoDaddy, Dell, FedEx, Audi, and more. John's designs make an impact. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. To start, why don't you tell us a little bit about Handsome? I don't know if you want to tell us about Handsome pre-relaunch, kind of set the stage for us, and then we can talk about sort of how you've relaunched and what that all means. Yeah, well, so I can talk a little bit about Handsome pre-relaunch because what we relaunched into was a much more mature and appropriate realization of what we started the agency for 10 years ago. And that was to create experiences for humans. And I think as a design agency or designer, you should say that that's what you do. But we had a few things when we started the agency that we really wanted to make sure we got right. And that was the reason for starting the agency. And we did that for, I'd say, eight years. But the pandemic and the abrupt change of everyone's lives and business and the acceleration of a lot of things forced our hand at making some changes that we had been wanting to make, or as you said, should have made all along. So what Handsome is, is a holistic experience design agency. So we work for clients, we work for brands, you mentioned some of our clients, but they hire us to think about holistic change of experience. And we think that brand, while you can define a brand and you can illustrate a brand and you can talk about what a brand is or what a brand should be, what a brand really is at the end of the day is the accumulation of all of the experiences that a person has with that brand that then establishes a relationship of some kind of value and identity between a person and that brand. So by being a holistic experience agency, we help clients think about the experience of their people, customers, partners, employees, shareholders, holistically. 
think about all of the moments and help them and help them change that. And uh, to the topic of a rebrand or relaunch, I'm excited to talk about that today because uh, you know I think that that's something that we learned because of the pandemic happening so abruptly that this is probably the way we should be thinking all of the time, not just when our hands are forced. Let's get to the relaunch of Handsome. What made you think we got to relaunch this? And you know what was the approach that you took? Oh, man. Well, we realized that our biggest enemy holding us back as a business and realizing this vision that we had was ourselves. And the fact that we weren't applying our own methodologies, I think back to Facebook, I think they call it dog fooding, eating your own dog food. I don't know what that means, but that's what they call <laughs> it. Uh, and so we realized we weren't doing that. We were we were holding ourselves back. And so we went back to that the existential question. And in some case, the pandemic, we started before the pandemic, but it really accelerated and forced our hands at being very existential with these kinds of questions. Why are we even doing this? What, what did we start the agency for? How much of our work isn't the work that we really want to be doing? but we're doing it so that we can be a business, but a business that serves who? The work that we don't want to be doing. And so it's those <laughs> kinds of questions that we put ourselves through and got back to the beginning of humans, experience, beauty, magic, holistic, and said, all right, well, let's just build a brand around those concepts. They're not new. They're the concepts we started the agency on and the concepts that, frankly, we preached to our clients and helped our clients do, but didn't apply ourselves. And let's build let's build Handsome around what Handsome was supposed to be all along. And it helped that we had really good client relationships. It helped that we had brought in really strong leadership to help us out. Um, and it helped that the pandemic was right around the corner. And so the stars were aligning in our favor. And we launched the rebrand around let's just be handsome and let's understand that better and let's let's be that better and let's, let's deliver that to our clients and build a team and a brand around that. And so with that came very uh, abrupt and strict business model changes to the way we approach the business, the way we approach design and client relationships and really put a stake in the ground and said, we're only going to do things this way and there is either demand for it and we will be successful or there isn't. And so far it's worked out. You mentioned the double growth. I think it's more than that now, but yeah. That's so cool. I'm curious if any of the kind of impacts or outcomes of the relaunch rebrand have been surprising to you. That's a really good question. I think the biggest surprise to me, and it seems so well, it is in its name. I, I think how the value of being very simple and letting humans be humans, letting people, it's one of the main things about the, about the, the change of the business from a brand and a business perspective is just be very human. And with that means being experimental, being entrepreneurial, letting everyone in the agency be experimental and entrepreneurial, very simple concepts and how things are flourishing in that environment. And clients love it. The team loves it. The work is better. And the more rigor that we put on things, the more stifled creativity is and the, le and the more, or I guess the less human the things that we make are. And simple idea, but I think what's been surprising to me and it's been like, wow, and I've, I wish I would have known is simple is better and let humans be humans. How has this focus on being human changed like business development, for example, or like finding clients, working with clients? How has that changed your approach there? It's helped us talk to clients about impact at a level above, but inclusive of business outcomes. Um, and so we're talking with clients about the way that our teams are going to work together. 
we're talking in longer terms. There is concrete deliverables and concrete business impact. In this case, even more measurable business impacts quantitatively. But it's based on the basis of experience and also talking with our clients about the future in terms of a story for the business and the brand. Yeah. The work you all are doing for brands, it seems like you've kind of turned it on yourselves, right? To kind of be like, what do we want to be? How do we be the best that we can be? I'm sure have to deal with this when you're working with brands and maybe it came up as you were relaunching, but you know, you got the status quo, particularly in these large companies. And so, you know, there might be a lot of fear of change. How have you sort of overcome that fear or helped your clients get over that barrier so that you can be innovative? Well, I think especially when talking about innovation and change, the whole point to all of this is to understand that what you're doing is an experiment. I've talked with clients for a long time about, you know, when they when they get I get into the room to pitch and clients will say, how do you know this is going to work? And you say, I don't know this is going to work. And neither do you. And when you come to work every day, even talking to CEOs and big executives, all you're doing all day is guessing. You're just really good at guessing. And if you build the system around the fact that what you're doing is a guess, you're, you're built in measurement and iteration and trying multiple things and hedging, you build that into the system, then you can be much more comfortable with it. And if you talk with people about that, but in less of a business sense and in more of a human sense, you fall down to get up, you don't learn anything by not, by not trying, you know, you talk in th- terms like that, but then apply it to the approach, even in innovation. We work with Shell a very large, obviously very complex company as an innovation partner uh, coming up with, you know, it's a very systematic approach to learning, understanding the market and people, and then coming up with with products to, to innovate on. And a huge part of that is understanding people on the consumer side, but an equally sized part of that is understanding the human on the client side, because socialization around the politics of these things is a huge battle to win. And so if we talk about those things early in the conversation and make that a part of the approach, which I think is the appropriate way to approach innovation anyway, but if we bring that way of thinking early into the approach and don't compromise, then ultimately you're successful. Yeah, that's awesome. I always say here at the museum that everything we're doing now is a prototype for what we're doing next. Yeah. It just kind of makes it feel like each thing isn't so precious, even though it is very important and impactful to whatever we're doing, like we're going to learn and kind of go from there. So I'm curious if, if you've always been experimental, like an experimental designer, and then if so, how do you coach others on your team to kind of live and breathe with that uncertainty <laughs> that can come with being experimental? I'd like to say that I have always been experimental, but I think that in reality, it's just being experimental means two things. One, knowing that it's an experiment, expecting for there to be an amount of failure. And two, planning into, I said it before, planning into the process, that failure, measurement, and what you're going to do about it. If you know that launching and the inevitable failure, some amount of failure of something is step one, and you already have steps two and three planned out, then it's okay. It's not a surprise. So that's what I coach the team on is just is think several steps ahead. And the launch of something isn't the milestone. It isn't the end. It's the first step of many steps, and then you're okay. And then it's just, it's expected and it's part of the process. Do you think more organizations should go through like a rebrand or a relaunch at some point or maybe multiple points? And if so, what would you say are the key elements that make the relaunch successful? 
Well, I think, yes, I think every company should always be in the process of reinventing itself. I really like the pressure that consumer electronics brands are under, Apple, et cetera, are under to always be planning and working on the next product release. And in reality, places like Apple are probably five or six products ahead in terms of their planning and, and R&D. And I think every business should be thinking of the business themselves and their brand like that. And as I said before, the brand is the experience and the experience is the brand. So real innovation now and reinvention and redesign now needs to be thought of at the experience level. And how are we innovating and reinventing our experience and the brand as a story of that experience? That's awesome. And hopefully not waiting around for the next pandemic. <laughs> right. Just just do it. Right. I love it. This is awesome. John, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and, and kudos on this relaunch. Thank you. Listeners, to see more of John's work, visit handsome.is. And John, stick around and we'll bring Simon Forster into the conversation after a quick break. Hi, this is JR from Design Museum Everywhere. I'm the exhibitions manager and editor for our We Design book that is dropping this year. We Design has taken on several different forms. You may have seen the in-person free exhibitions in schools and public buildings, or our online virtual exhibition. Now, with your support, we're producing a book. It will feature 41 design stories of designers who refuse the confines of white supremacy and are creating innovative spaces, products, systems, and strategies at the forefront of contemporary design. We believe design can change the world. If you believe in the transformative power of design, we ask you to join us in lifting up the powerful and innovative voices of BIPOC, female, and gender expansive designers and back this project to bring this new book to life. Check out designmuseumeverywhere.org for more details and keep an eye out for the We Design book coming soon. And we're back. We're joined by our special guest, Simon Forster, the founder and executive creative director of Robot Food, a consulting agency that is, quote, slaying giants in the world of branding. Simon started the agency from his dining room table in 2009 in Harrogate, England, after spending his early career running lifestyle and sports fashion brands. Since its founding, Robot Food clients are global and always ambitious. Simon also co-founded Stories in Ink, a skincare line specifically for people with tattoos. Simon's designs seek to engage, revitalize, and invigorate brands. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. First question, where did the name Robot Food come from? I'm dying to learn. I'd love to have a really uh, compelling story and a really original answer, but it's the name of an old production company that used to make snowboard movies. And ah. my background is snowboarding. So it was just a Got kind it. of nod to those guys and their creativity because they were kind of killing it in those movies a long time ago. Those movies are so awesome. <laughs> They're so fun to watch. Yeah. I love it. So tell us about Robot Food. Tell us about the agency and, and your sort of pivot, you know, from sort of lifestyle and sports to, you know, Robot Food agency. I always regretted not doing something creative, I guess. I started my first business at like 21. I'd, I'd done a snowboard season in uh, California and saw a brand and picked it up and kind of got into working without really thinking about what I was doing. It was kind of instinctive and I really enjoyed it. But after a few years of sales and marketing, I, I, I wanted to do something more creative and I kind of missed out on the formal training, but just kind of thought, fuck it, I'm going to start an agency and see how it goes. 
<laughs> Love it. Talk to me about your approach. You know, what's your design approach? How do you help brands sort of develop an overall narrative to their work? That's a big question. <laughs> there's probably, yeah, there's probably a lot of How do you do what you do? <laughs> if I tell you that everyone's going to know, we're not going to be able That's to. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess it's really about understanding. There's two things. It's understanding who, you, who you're working with and what you're working on, like completely. Um, and then it's understanding your audience completely. Because if you can do both of those things... Um, I think I think what's what's really difficult is is nailing a proposition in a compelling way that doesn't feel forced, you know, that feels a natural connection with its audience. Because as consumers, we're really we're pretty fussy, and we want we want brands that connect with us in a personal way. So there's you know it's very difficult for brands to break through unless there's genuine connection with those people. So. It's authentic voice and, and kind of doing things as it should be, I guess. So Simon, to, to jump in here, because um, I, I love that answer and uh, being a founder of a creative agency, almost as old as yours uh, over a decade, I'm curious how that's changed or how the execution of that's changed over time. I think consumers have become more demanding and and actually kind of they scratch the surface of the brands that they purchase and more and more you know with with issues around sustainability and welfare and and things like that it's no it's no longer good enough to just say you do something or say you believe something as a brand it yeah. has to be inherent in every everything that you do so you it's not just in the way you package the product but it's in every step of that journey of creating the product logistics team you know how a company treats its people is 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 all part of the brand yeah definitely so I started my career in a consumer electronics company. I won't name names, large brand. And often I'd be in meetings and people would be like, well, the customer wants this, they want this, but they weren't talking to the customer. <laughs> I'm curious, Simon, how you help them connect with those humans that they're actually you know, designing for, working for, selling to. A lot of times with projects, there is consumer research involved. I prefer the kind of up, up, upfront anecdotal stuff because it gives you real nuggets to work from, from, you know, through the creative journey. Um, just one statement that somebody says about a topic can drive a thought or a, an idea. And then often clients want to validate design with consumers. And it, it can be very successful. It can be quite laborious and end up killing the purity of an idea. But, you know, research, research does play a part in a lot of projects and can be really useful. So I have a question for both of you. If there is a distinction between designing for a, a pure rebrand or like a full holistic, to use your word, John, relaunch of a business. Yeah, I think that to understand the I think to understand the question, it's if we're talking about a rebrand from just an aesthetic in positioning perspective versus the relaunch of a business where we're rethinking the business model, the go-to-market, how things are connecting, how we're making something or, or how we're even selling it. I think, yes, there can be a difference. And I think one should uh, definitely be considered when doing the other. Um, I think the biggest impact is when you have a brand that is the result of how the core of your business and your offering connects to the audience. And so, if you're rebranding, I think, and not considering how the business might might be reconfigured, then you may be missing the point. 
and vice versa. If you're relaunching a business in a new way or relaunching a product in a new way and aren't considering how those changes connect to its audience, you're probably missing out. So to summarize, I think they should be either one and the same or done together. I, yeah, I think they are the, they're the same thing because it's the business objectives that dictate the, the need for the, for the rebrand. So it's really nailing that. What I find working with clients, they, they often have like a commercial objective and it's just like a headline commercial objective that kind of drives the initial brief, but it's, it's the process that unlocks so much more opportunity. And, and, you know, if you, if you guide the client through the process, right, and ask the right questions, you always end up working on a much more detailed brief together. And then you see how invigorated they are because the opportunity's grown and it's just, you know, call it what you want to start with, but it's, it's, it's going to end up in quite transformational, radical change that isn't just the, the brand, but it's the whole operation. And it's something tangible that everybody can get behind. Like people internally, it kind of galvanizes them and, and gets them fired up about what they're doing. So a good branding project, you know, especially in the world of FMCG, where we do a lot of work, it's you're thinking about the end customer who's going into the retail channel, but it's also about the people who are selling the stuff. It gets them motivated. But then it's also the people that they're selling to because they're not the end consumer. So it's got to hit every level. Yeah, yeah, that's that's important. A lot of stakeholders. I'm curious about that brief. And you mentioned there's like that maybe headline business objective. What other signals are you looking for when you're chatting with a, a business that's wanting to rebrand to kind of help you kickstart the process? You're looking for everything. We do stakeholder interviews um, with, with you know, just, just a random selection of people within organizations because that's the very first thing we do because the person who gives you the brief, they have a, an objective, but you need to speak to different people within the business and within the organization because they give you so much richness of the inner workings of that company and the pain points. And the, it's just a, a much better way of starting a project than just taking the, the brief at face value. And then you can go back and question and probe a bit. And, and then we go into like a collaborative workshop with the client where we, we prep, you know, for a couple of weeks, um, generating stimulus to talk through. And, and th that's really to work out how far we can, we can push and pull and share mindset and get to a point of really defining what a brand's purpose, mission and values and things like that. Are. Simon, can you share some examples of maybe some recent work where you either rebranded or helped relaunch a brand? A good example that I'm kind of fired up to talk about is it's a free from plant-based dessert brand that came to us and they, they were called Freaks of Nature. And it was an interesting one because they were set up in the north of England and they were pretty well financed and they, they knew that they wanted to kind of, you know, go into the dessert space and create free from puddings that tasted great, but didn't have the dairy, didn't have the gluten. And they spoke to us at that point, but they ended up going with a different agency who branded them freaks of nature. And I remember at the time thinking, you're kind of already backing yourself into a corner, like it feels almost unconfident. And, and I think that was a move that was done to try and be disruptive, but disruptive to who? Because it was a, a category that wasn't established. 
So you're then going head to head with the big dairy counterparts and you're calling yourself a freak. And possibly your audience is, is questioning who's the freak. So after, after about four years of trading, they, they'd been through a rebrand still called Freaks of Nature. It just didn't, didn't make any sense. And then they came to us and said, you know, what do we need to do? And, and the obvious answer was have a rethink. And the client was great. They kind of, they knew they weren't where they needed to be, which is a nice starting point because you're not pushing against a closed door. And of course, through the creative process they did say from the start can we have a benchmark a rebrand concept of freaks that is just better than it currently is and we were happy to do so because they did some really simple kind of online social testing and it proved to not resonate but it was that initial workshop where we were questioning you know is it is it free from do people want do people want a plant-based dessert is that compelling i kind of get plant-based sausages but do i want my dessert to be plant-based or is it more that it's dairy free and you think about the explosion in the in the dairy free milk category and it's such a big part of that section of the supermarket so that was what kind of drove us to to then question right if it's dairy free then we came up with this idea of dairy freed and what would daisy the cow be doing all day if she wasn't being milked so she kind of became the feminist icon of the brand and and it's all about daisy ticking off her bucket list of the things she'd be choosing to do if she wasn't being milked all day so the the aim of the brand was to um to go head to head with the dairy counterparts in the mainstream chiller and there is a, there's a demand from consumers now for dairy-free. There's a big flexitarian movement because people understand the, the sustainability and welfare issues, but you can't be confrontational about it or hit them over the head. So it's just a fun way of addressing those elements head on, but in a way that feels visually it's, it's full of pastel colors and everything you'd expect from a dessert. And then you've got like a cow character who's skydiving or skateboarding or whatever, which is just fun. But you know that also that's hitting the, the, the contentious points and, and, and it's, it's giving you an understanding of why that product exists. So is it still called Freaks of Nature? No, it's called Over the Spoon. Oh, cool. Awesome. That's a great, that's a great story. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's just fun and it looks fun. It looks tasty. I mean, there were lots of problems with the, with the brand previously. They didn't have any product photography on the packaging, which just for any food brand is a no-no. It's cool because like instantly their sale, their sell through in store doubled. So, you know, wow. just puts them on a much better footing to, to hit their objectives. I love that example. And I think there were a couple of elements in there that fit a definition of creativity that I've built over the years that I use to think about how we are aren't being creative. And my question for you is what is robot foods or your definition of creativity? And the second part of that question is how are you applying that to your own approach and process? I think what my definition of creativity has always been about, um, I think it's really important to have a vision. And, and then I see creativity as just navigating the field to reach that, that point. Um, I think you've got to have visionary creatives within a team who just can, can almost see the end goal before you start working on it. Because creative is just kind of figuring out those bits and you need all kinds of technicians who maybe don't actually have the vision initially, but, but can help shape it. The best ideas just come from thrashing stuff out as a team, chatting it through, like saying a lot of stupid stuff that gets completely dismissed. And then just picking out those nuggets that form an idea or, or that vision that you can then work towards. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I've been thinking a lot about as my own agency has been going through a lot of trans transformation and wetting our appetite or opening our minds to stay in this transformation mode. Heck, we asked our clients to taking our own medicine, I guess, or practicing what we preach and being creative about our own approach and how we do things and, and having an open mind and being okay with having stupid ideas and trying stupid ideas about how we even run our own business or how we work with clients. So I was curious if that's if, if that kind of change or ideation or open-mindedness has been a part of Robot Foods. Yeah, I think open-mindedness is the key because no ideas are a bad idea until after the event, then you can maybe maybe mock a little bit. But um, but like it's yeah, it's just having having that kind of level forum. Like a, a big part of our success, I think, is the fact that we have a structure, but it feels pretty flat in that in that anybody can develop a great idea. You know, when we take on a graduate, like even even like over the spoon was illustrated by by a girl who had joined as a as a graduate a few weeks before the project began, and she was kind of became the lead creative on that project or the lead implementer of the creative on that project, just because she's got a really cool illustrative style that, that we thought would suit. And, Very cool. and then that gives her, gives her confidence. So going into her second project, she can, she can own it because she's never understood that she can't own it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's a really important thing for us. Um, we've always brought in young talent and kind of given them the, the, the space and freedom to, to excel. And, and another thing we, we, we do is, we bring people on on them on their merit and don't try and mold them. And you know, just the other day, one of my one of my creative directors was saying, you know, we've we've spoken to this guy and he's, he's got a really cool portfolio, and I just can't really see how he might fit in with this client or this client. And I was like, I've seen his portfolio; it's it's sick. Like, if we get that guy in, like, he's going to bring another dimension to to the work that we do in our off pack or whatever. We'll we'll find we'll find opportunity for him. He's going to strengthen our team. And, and I think that's, that's the key. Love that. I don't know if it's the right answer, but it's, uh, it's an answer I agree with. And, and uh, also where we practice. And I think you, you can't, you can't take people on specifically because to fulfill that exact role at the time that you're, you know, especially when it comes to creatives, you just got to grab the right ones as they appear and, and build the business around them. You both founded your agencies about 10 or so years ago. So what have you learned about design since launching Robot Food and Handsome? I think that what I've learned about design is that it is both as simple as it seems. There's sure, you know, there are, there are PhDs, there are lots of books, there are multi hundred million dollar agencies and consultancies built around these things. And it looks extremely complex and it is and it can be, but it's also extremely simple. And the things that happen that really make a huge impact often come from people like Simon was saying, just being open minded, considering the very few things that need to be considered people, business, planet, you know, the types of impact, considering those things and being free to come up with ideas and then everything else after that is around validating and implementing and building businesses around and launching. But actual design itself is much better when it's very simple. And I won't say that that was necessarily a surprise. 
but learning how simple it is and getting really, really good at, at that simple is what's is what I've learned over the last 10 years. I've learned um, there's two, two main points is one is design is the output of a lot of thinking. So our projects are probably it's maybe 30 or 40 maximum 50 percent of the time and effort and team team input is spent on the actual design. So once you absolutely nail the proposition, the, the idea, the tone of voice, the, all the things that go into it, because it involves strategists, copywriters, like there's, there's, there's a team of people working on shaping that initial idea, that, that nugget. And then when it comes to design, you, we have like a design strategy process that does some elimination and it, and it takes the client on the journey. And, and then once you get into the actual conceptual design, it's already pinpointed where you're heading. So we're not, we're not, we're not thinking about, does it want to sit over here? Or maybe it wants to be more like this. Or, so so the, 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 the client goes on the journey, you show them the concept and they're like, wow, that's exactly what I was thinking. And it becomes, it, it's, 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 it's actually quite, easy for for the team because they're talented to execute that that direction that's been agreed that's not the hard bit the hard bit is the upfront bit um and yeah nailing a proposition um and then the other thing i've learned is is you know coming into this business completely naively having no experience and being i guess being abused as a startup who was willing to do any do anything for any fee and, and and all the rest of it and then going through you know quite quite difficult client relationships through the years where as we've grown in in, in credibility and stature our clients have have grown into more professional easier clients who really value design you know and we're working with some amazing companies um, companies like Carlsberg and and you know just they, they have a they have a design function within their business and they really, really value it. They understand what it brings to their business. And it's become so much easier and more enjoyable as, as we've improved and the clients have, have got better. So it's not just about the creative, it's about the business as well. And, and having that, I don't know, a big, a, big part of, a big part of our journey is, you know, we've never, we've never free pitch creative because it just seems completely illogical to devalue the industry that we're trying to play a part of. We do pitches and um, win work from paid pitching and, and the, you know, like Carlsberg, who I mentioned, they, they want to validate that we're the right agency to bring in and they did it. So it's about working with people on a level and enjoying what you do, I think, is a, is a key. There's been a couple of years of, you know, really difficult, difficult years through the agency's growth where I've, where I've questioned or lost some of the passion. And I think, I think now I'm, I'm enjoying it more than ever. Hopefully it shows in, in the team and the work we're doing. So. Yeah, that's awesome. That actually, your second point there, I love, it kind of leads to my final question for you both, which is what's your advice for those companies to do, to gear up for before they call you, what should they do first? Well, I think that I would say I would like them to do as little as possible before calling us. I think that the general advice from our side is to bring us in as far upstream as possible. From a operating a business perspective, I'd like for them to make sure they have the budget and the appetite and the authority uh, to embark on what they think they want to do. And then once that's in place, come to us and we would love to partner from that point going forward. So I think it's really about 
you kind of need to know what you want to do. Not that that's going to be where we end up, but that you have something to orientate around yourself and then make sure that you, that your appetite and authority and latitude really match that so that we can have a real conversation and start on day zero together. Yeah, I I think John's nailed the answer, but um, I think for me, it's about um, having a, an appetite to, you know, we, we like people who want to drive change. Like there's, there's two types of clients. There are clients that work within organizations and try to not get fired. Um, and there are people who want to drive change and make a better future and make an impact and inspire. And it's those people we want to talk to because that's where the magic happens. Yeah, I love that. Love this conversation. Thank you both. And Simon, thanks so much for being here and sharing your experience. Great to chat, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, to see more of Simon's work, check out robot-food.com. And now it's that time. Every week we share our weekly dose of good design, our examples of good, thoughtful design that's impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll go first. So I recently joined the Solo Stove Cult and I love my Solo Stove fire pit. So I have like a back deck and we had sort of this like, you know, cheapo kind of metal fire pit and it was just like so smoky and I never get my wife to actually do a bonfire because the smoke would always just blow to her. I don't know she's like a magnet for it. But anyway, the solo stove is wonderful. It's kind of like this like stainless steel cylinder. And I guess the way it works is there's sort of like air holes in the bottom and it's like double hulled, if you will. And so air kind of comes in from around the bottom and then kind of comes from the top. And I don't know exactly how it works. But anyway, the smoke just goes straight up and it just creates like a really great fire every time. And I love it. So I have the bonfire version, which is sort of like the middle size. There's like a small, medium and large. And I have a stand so that I can put it on my wooden deck and it doesn't light my house on fire. Um, but yeah, I love it. It's been great this season uh, having bonfires in the back and just making it really easy to like look like a total bonfire pro. Um, so that's me. Check out solostove.com. All right, John, you are next. All right. Well, this last week I was in Savannah, Georgia for the first time. And Savannah is a beautiful, beautiful town. I love that. And um, I've met several people over the years and I've been a fan from the outside of SCAD or Savannah College of Art and Design. And I would say that uh, the, the design that has inspired me that I think is good design is SCAD itself and the idea of uh, Paula Wallace founding that college in 1978. The whole story behind that is really interesting, and I kind of heard it offhand. Um, but there is a thing at SCAD called SCAD Story, which the students and an experiential agency put together that I want to pick as my my thing that I think is good design. And so SCAD Story is a 15-minute, they call it 4D uh, experience, where you walk in and you see a presentation, but it's immersive and it's interactive and it's just so well done. The story behind it, SCAD itself is Paula Wallace's credit, um, but the way they told that story and that experience I thought was amazing. And then, you know, for me walking out of that was inspired as a, a leader in design, in the business of design, the owner of an agency trying to push the limits and boundaries and looking for what's next 
and wanting also wanting to contribute back to providing an opportunity for creative people to find their avenue to live in this world and make money and make something of themselves. Um, SCAD being a tool and an avenue to do that, I think is really inspiring. And SCAD's story is what opened my mind up to that and really, really pushed that for me. So I, I love that. Yeah, that's super cool. Thanks for sharing. Listeners, if you have a great weekly dose of good design, please share it. You can tweet it at me and I'll share it on the air. At Sam Aquilano is my handle on Twitter. John, thank you again for being here. It's such a great conversation. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was great. Okay, that's our show. Again, I want to thank John Rocher and Simon Forster for joining us. Thank you all for listening. That was a really fun conversation. We'll post links to the resources and articles we discussed today on our episode page. So visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and in the menu, click on podcast. You can always find the latest from us at Design Museum on social media. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. You can also search Design Museum Everywhere on LinkedIn and Facebook, and we will show up. We also have a pretty awesome weekly email newsletter. You can get all the latest news from us right to your inbox. You can sign up for that on our website as well. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Design Is Everywhere, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just click that five stars, leave a quick comment. It really helps us reach more people so that we can chat about the transformative power of design every week. We really, truly appreciate your support. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Amor Yates. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for being here, and we'll talk again next week.